Well, it's an uncomfortable truth and one that we don't like discussing. Data from the Department of Health shows a spike in COVID cases and deaths particularly noticeable in aged care since Christmas. More than 600 aged care residents have died from the virus. Even the Health Minister, Mark Butler, conceded today that the government hadn't been expecting the latest wave to be this bad. There have been a little more than 800 deaths in residential aged care since October when this fourth wave started, about 2,600 deaths over the course of the wave, and that is a great tragedy. Uh, we are learning uh, through every wave how better to protect the most vulnerable members of our community, which is really the couple of hundred thousand people who live in residential aged care. With the government now appealing for all adults to consider a fifth booster, the Australian Medical Association says vaccination rates are languishing in parts of the country, with many of us overdue for a fourth, let alone a fifth. You might be wondering who's not getting jabbed. Uh, Are you up to date with your COVID vaccinations? If not, why not? I'd love to hear your views. You can text me on the text line 0418 226 576. You can also message me via the ABC Listen app. Uh, Peter or Peter in Melbourne says, Hi Andy, I'll be getting my fifth dose when available. I'm financially secure, healthy, age 66, and has yet not had COVID so far, as I know. Uh, She says, I'm active socially, rarely wear a mask and attribute my no COVID status to being fully vaccinated. Now, new research shows where... Uh, well, really, there's an answer here to this vaccine hesitancy. It might be one you haven't thought of. Dr. Gabrielle Bryden is from the Central Queensland University. She's looked closely at this. Welcome to RN Drive, Doctor. You've conducted several studies here looking at where Australians are likely unvaccinated. What have you found? Oh, hi, Andy. Uh, yes, I looked at um, studying anti-vax- uh, anti-vaccine hesitancy over the last... Uh, well, I started my PhD in 2016, so some of the data's from back then, way before the pandemic started. So um, one of the studies that I did was I examined associations between geographic or postcode level socio-demographic factors and uptake of vaccination among five-year-old children. So that data was 2016, but it was throughout the whole of Australia and uh that's using a public health-focused ecological methodology. So what this study showed us was that those areas with the highest um, socioeconomic status had the lowest vaccination rates for five-year-old children. And, in fact, the remote areas of Australia had the highest vaccination rates. Some areas were 100% vaccination rates. And the the closer that you get to the... uh, dense areas or urban areas and inner city areas that even a further drop in vaccination rates were experienced in those areas. And also we found that, yeah, those people with like high education, high, um, high, like uh, uh, high employment, high, whoops, sorry about that, high, um, a whole range of indicators of high socioeconomic status. They, they were the ones that had the lower rate of uh, vaccination. So what's the relevance of using the vector of five-year-old or children's vaccination to kind of determine this? What's, what's the, the meaning of that? Well, basically, that's where you get most of your data from because um, as people get older, that sort of data is not collected. But we were concerned about young children who there's 
even way back in the, that time, 2016, there was a concern that there was a significant drop in vaccination for certain geographic areas or pockets of Australia. And um, so the focus on children was because we were concerned about children missing out on their vaccinations rather than, like, parents, like, adults, because they can make up their own mind, but children are sort of, um, you know, they have to depend on their parents to make that decision. So uh, using these postcodes, you can you know, put together data, ABS data, certainly on socioeconomic factors as well. And yep. the, the kind of punchline here is that we, we thought that it was the underprivileged that were most at risk of vaccine hesitancy, but it's actually the privileged. What do you put that down to? Well, the, the research, well, we call it the privilege paradox because it was sort of unexpected, this result, as you said yourself. Um, we didn't actually look into that, uh, why that was the case for that. The other research looks more at the um, cultural uh, sort of stuff which may predict vaccine hesitancy. But um, one of the main reasons, when people have the right amount of resources, like excessive resources, they, they, they focus, some of them focus on, uh, like, their, they rely on their own sense of what's right for their own family and often they, um, they get into health, you know, so much that they, you know, they're often into, like, wellness stuff and going to alternative practitioners and stuff to maximise the um, the. Um, the health of their family and their children. So they're being exposed to, um, well, not exposed, but they, they're sort of in a group sometimes that are very concerned about health, so much so that they do their own research, which is often not based on evidence, but sort of they do their own research based on the internet and Google. And it's like a self-fulfilling filling prophecy. They, um, they have it in their heads. This is what, this is what being healthy is all about. And this is the best thing I can do. And then they do research on wellness sites, which are often full of pseudo-scientific information. So uh, we don't really know why it's these people that are well off, but we can sort of hazard a guess that it, that's what it is. They're sort of, it's like birds of a feather flock together. These groups are mingling with each other online and in, at, you know, they go to the same schools, that, that sort of stuff. So there's a whole uh, network of people that are, sort of a hive of people that are sharing information about health and sometimes that, that information is just not accurate and that's mm. what happens with uh, a lot of the vaccine information. And mm. often they're sharing stories as well, so um, stories that are maybe not accurate, like the, there might be a story about, oh, this, I heard about this child who got vaccinated and then five days later was seriously ill, based on their own experience, but... That's not a scientific piece of information. That's just um, there's no evidence for it. You'd have mm. to look at further information to get a proper it, reason. If you've just tuned in, Australian researchers found that some of the lowest rates of vaccination are taking place in some of the higher socioeconomic areas of the country. Dr Gabrielle Bryden has conducted this research. Uh, she's here explaining her findings as to why this is the case. So conversely, when you're looking at these areas that aren't well vaccinated, were there any kind of standout reasons or conclusions that you could make about that reason behind vaccine hesitancy? 
Oh, sorry, could you repeat that question? Well, if you know where people are most vaccinated, you know where people are least vaccinated. So oh, yes. Where, where there has been success, was there any idea of why? Was it government oh, messaging, okay. for example, or media? Well, or? actually, I think um, like we found that remote areas were almost 100% vaccinated, and I have a feeling we can't prove this, but basically there's a great focus on those areas with outreach, and I think that... With a small area, if you come in with like nurses who are vaccinating, it's easy to capture that whole group, basically. It's just a different, it's not really related to my research, but it's just a different strategy of how you vaccinate. We don't do that in the cities. We don't go and vaccinate a whole population, but you can do that in a small remote area. So So it's probably got nothing to do with psychology. It's just an access issue. Okay. So this idea of a privilege paradox, does it, enter any other parts of public health care policy? I mean, certainly we've had a pretty dominant conversation around vaccination in this country over the last few years. Are there other areas where it's it's evident that people who are independently wealthy rely on their own intuition about whether a treatment is good or bad rather than the professional advice? Well, there's there's lots of literature that lo- that looks at that. There's been a lot of qualitative study that look in depth into what people are saying and what people... Um, there's been analysis of content analysis of uh, like comment sections in websites. That's where you can get a lot of information about what they're thinking. And a lot of themes emerge from these sort of groups, sort of like there's often, uh, they're often into alternative medicines and they like things that are natural. They like holistic health. They're into Often it's about intuitive thinking too. They think if if my intuition is telling me this, this is what is right. So they intuitively think, ah, vaccines, horrible, yuck, that's not natural. And they often, what health they'll, the option that they'll pick is based on their intuitive thinking rather than logical thinking. And this is the way most people, a lot of people think this way. They'll base their opinions based on their emotional uh, you know, their feelings about what's in front of them. So, yeah, so with this sort of group, they're thinking intuitively and intuitively they're thinking, oh, vaccines are horrible, I'm not going to go near there because it doesn't fit in with my my worldview. My, I'm into holistic health, you know, and they're, they're saying they want to jab me with this thing that's got all manner of stuff in it which we don't know too much about, which is not true because we do know what's in them, but that's what they think and they think mm. it's toxic. So, so now that we have this skeptics. understanding, Gabrielle, yep. now that we have this research of yours to understand areas of vaccine hesitancy, how do you suggest we combat that? I mean, is it health communication or messages? You, I should also note, understand you're a trained psychologist. So, I mean, part of this battle is certainly psychological. That's Yeah, that's true. But one of the main purposes for my thesis was to look at Okay, we'll find out as much as we can about these people, about their underlying worldview. And then when we've, and then we'll say where they live, that was part of the geographic part of it. And then when we've, it's like um, social marketing, what you do is you segment the, the audiences into what's your target audience for the communication. So basically all my research can lead into what is, what is this segment of the market? What are they like, you know? And then you can develop, a health campaign based on that sort of really fine-tuned analysis of what these types of people are like. Because previously, a lot of uh, 
particularly government health promotion, was fact-based and provided by an expert, which these people don't like. They don't, they're often anti-authoritarian. They don't want an expert telling them because they think, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I can do my own research. They've got that sense of, you know, that they can do that. And um, but so this sort of fact-based campaign doesn't work with these people. So what we can use is a more affective or emotions-based approach to these health campaigns, which would be more persuasive for this target group of vaccine sceptics. You need one that aligns with their values, morals, identities and worldview. Fascinating research and useful, especially as the fifth booster is announced in this country. Dr. Gabrielle Bryden is from Central Queensland University. Appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks, Andy. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.